Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. So if you heard in last week's episode, I told Fatina that if she had a fear of dying by fire, this was not going to be the episode for her. So here we are. This is the story of Jesse Tefero. I think is how you pronounce his last name. That's what we're going with. Cool. Doesn't ring any bells. It won't. But I'm not excited about any fire. Yeah. But, okay. Oh, it's a doozy. Let's okay. <laughs> so, um, there's not a whole lot of information about Jesse prior to the crime actually being committed, or a whole lot of background about any of these key story players, if you will. Okay. Um, it really jumps in right at the crime. What I do know about Jesse, though, is that he was born on October 12th, 1946. He married a woman named Sonia Jacobs, who went by Sunny. And she will be referred to as Sunny from here on out. They had two kids together. They had a nine-year-old son and a 10-month-old daughter. Oh, okay. Big range. Yes. Big gap there. Um, There was something that alluded to, like, the older son being Sunny's and not Jesse's. But, like I said, some of the details here are pretty dicey. Mm. But We'll go with it. Yeah, we're going with it because the story is worth it. Okay. Okay, so on February 20th of 1976, so at this point, Jesse would have been 30 years old, mm-hmm. two police officers approached a cab that was parked at a rest stop in Florida. They were doing a routine check because it was just kind of lingering. Oh, okay. And when they approached the car, it so the officers that approached the car are Officer Philip Black. He served nine years as Highway Patrol for Florida, and he was 39 years old. And his friend, Corporal Donald Irwin, he was a Canadian constable, and he was a friend that was visiting. And because they were both officers of the law, I guess Officer Black felt comfortable with him doing a ride-along ride or along. whatever it okay. was, um, and also felt comfortable with him getting out of the car. This is the 70s. It's weird. It's a new, it's a different world. <laughs> but they're both 39 years old. Um, and they approach the car and they see that Jesse, Sonny, their two kids, and the driver, who is Walter Rhodes, are sleeping in the car. Oh. Now, Jesse and Walter are friends. Okay. And that's what made this a little less odd is that they are friends. So they are driving somewhere where I do not know, but they're on a break, basically. So okay. they're sleeping in the car. Um and I read one account that Jesse and Walter were friends because they had served time together. Okay. What I do know is that they both do have a criminal record. And they had both been to prison and they were both out on parole. That's a lot of coincidences, but yeah. Yeah. So I would assume that since they are both parolees out from prison sentences that they Uh actually were friends in prison and that's how this Uh, all happened and they just happened to be like both service members okay you said they'd served together oh served time together together. gotcha yeah i thought you said they just served together no i'm sorry they They served time together (laughs) (laughs) i was like what I thought we were talking about the police officers again. Uh, I was very confused. No, I thought you were saying they were vets. And I was oh, like, no. oh, no. No, 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 no. Felons. Gotcha. Felonies is gotcha. what we're talking about. 
Jesse, what I do know, I don't know anything about Walter's convictions. I've looked everywhere. I can't find anything about mm. why he was convicted and served time previously. Okay. But I do know that Jesse had been convicted of attempted robbery and what was listed as crimes against nature. What is that? I have no idea. Like peeing on a tree? I no, It seems pretty, pretty nature-driven <laughs> if you ask me. I... Or maybe starting a fire? No. Okay. No, no, no. I don't think it actually has anything to do with nature. <laughs> I think it's crimes against, like... Humans? Yeah, like, against humanity. Like, it goes against your natural instincts. Can Something we, makes me think it's, like, Google a sexual this? component. Crimes against nature. Let's see what comes up. Because I am very curious... Oh, yeah, it says, the crime against nature or unnatural act has historically been a legal term in English-speaking states identifying forms of sexual behavior mm. not considered natural or decent and are, are legally punishable offenses. Masturbation, sodomy, bestiality, things like that. Yep. Yep. Um, so. Wow. Okay. I was yeah. not expecting that. No, it wasn't actually like crimes against like a tree or right, something right. like that. <laughs> like actual nature. Yeah. No. Wow, it's, it goes my... against what people think humans are born to like do. Like natural. Yeah. Yeah. A dated concept, but yeah. So it's not clear as to what specific crime against nature he committed, um, but this happened when he was 20 years old. Okay. So... Officer Black calls in the car on the radio, and they discover that the driver has a felony, that he's out on parole. And so they approach the car, and they see a gun lying on the floor of the car. Okay. Now, what we do, they do know at this point is you have a felon in the car with, with a, a gun. With a gun. Yeah. Not, not good. Number one rule. Yeah, pretty much. So, since Jesse is a felon, he cannot buy a gun. But his wife, Sunny, can. And oh. she had bought the gun and registered registered it to herself on his behalf. So it's a gun yeah. that she owns, is registered to, but he Jesse handles, uses it. He yeah. handles it. Okay. So the officers wake up the passengers and they tell Walter to exit the car. And then they tell Jesse to exit the car. And then things blow to pieces. Oh. So at some point, Jesse and the officer get into a scuffle. The officer throws Jesse onto the hood of the car and is holding him there while he calls for backup. And then shots start ringing out. Whoa. Then Sonny, Jesse, their kids, and Walter all hop in the police car and take off. <gasps> And there's two officers dead at the scene. Whoa. Yeah. That got... The, wow. Right. That escalated things quickly. Got, things got heinous real fast. So we have two officers now that are dead. And they're on the run in a police car. So at some point, they ditch the police car. And they kidnap a man and steal his car. Oh, gosh. So we've got murder, kidnapping, and theft. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto. And they take off, Lord knows where, probably for a border or something like that. And they're stopped at a roadblock. And Jesse, Sonny, and Walter are all arrested. Jesse has the gun in the waistband of his pants. And so immediately they're like, Jesse murdered these police officers. Oh, okay, okay. That is the assumption because he's the one holding the gun. Right. 
So they bring all three of them in, and Walter says that Jesse and the officer had gotten into a fight. Jesse grabbed the gun, shot the officers, and then forced all of them into the car and took off. Who said this? Walter, the okay, driver. the guy. Of the okay. Car. Yeah. But Jesse and Sonny both say that's not what happened. They say that they had been put in a really bad situation, that Jesse and this officer did get into a scuffle, but that Jesse was laying on the hood of a car when Walter pulls the gun out of the car and starts firing at the police officers. Then Walter forces all of them into the police car and hands Jesse the gun so he can drive. Okay. Because Walter's the licensed whatever. The li- <laughs> responsible driver. Licensed driver. Oh, we no. are going to follow traffic laws. <laughs> and say that basically Walter forces them to flee with him. And so all occupants of the vehicle are tested for gunshot residue. Mm, okay. Walter Rhodes tests consistent with discharging a weapon. Mm. Jesse tests consistent with having handled an unclean or recently discharged weapon. Ah, okay. And Sunny and her son, who is the nine-year-old, also test consistent with having handled an unclean or recently discharged weapon. Whoa. So they could have just touched it, whatever. Right. Or Des- touched Jesse or something. Yeah. But despite these results, Walter takes a polygraph test. And supposedly he passes the polygraph test. So the DA feels comfortable offering him a plea bargain. No. And his plea bargain says that he needs to basically testify against Jesse and Sonny in exchange for a reduced sentence of secondary murder, which would carry a life sentence, but it takes the death penalty off the table for him. Okay. That's not as bad as I was thinking. So the he's like, cool, yeah, accepted. I don't want to die. Right. The defense is like, cool, can I get a copy of these polygraph tests? And the uh, DA is like, no, no, you cannot. Why not? Well, we'll find out. Okay. We will find out. <laughs> but they withheld them. So the judge, or uh, the trial begins. And from what I can tell, Jesse and Sunny were tried together. Okay. So, the judge in the trial was an ex-highway patrol officer, Mm. and he had only been off of highway patrol for three years. Mm. He wore his police officer's hat to court every single day. That's odd. No bias there, though, right? Right. Yeah. And he was asked to recuse himself. He declined, because obviously conflict of interest here. Yeah. Um, he said no, that he felt like confident he could remove his bias and that he didn't have any. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. So at trial, Walter testified that Sonny fired first from the back seat of the car and that Jesse took the gun away from her and shot both officers dead, basically. So it was Sonny made the first shots, Jesse died, or Jesse killed them though. And Jesse's lawyer didn't call any witnesses on Jesse's behalf. Um, two eyewitnesses testified that they saw shots being fired, and one of them also saw 
shots being fired while Jesse was being detained on the hood of the oh. car. Because remember, this is a rest right. stop, right. you know? While Jesse's being detained on the hood of the car, um, which would indicate Jesse would not be the one able right. to fire said weapon. But ultimately, um, things fell apart. The jury was not sequestered during this trial. Oh, no. And without anyone to testify on Jesse's behalf, other than really these these truck drivers who said, like, yeah, I saw it. I heard shots. I'm not really sure who fired it, but I did see Jesse laying on the head of a car. Ultimately, Jesse and Sonny were convicted of capital murder. Wow. And both of them were sentenced to death. Oh. Even with Walter and his plea deal? Yeah, because Walter's testifying oh, against Sonny, them. Oh, Sonny, Sonny, yeah, Sonny. Sonny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sonny received three life sentences, and these all the charges were for murder. So he got three life sentences for murder, and then also for uh, one for sorry, two life sentences for murder, one for kidnapping. Mm. Um, and Sonny and Jesse were convicted of the capital murder, so they were sentenced to death. Shortly after this, Jesse's attorney was actually disbarred for bribing a witness on a separate case for uh, that involved narcotics. Mm. So lots of lots of holes here. Right. Just sounds like he didn't have competent representation. Not at all. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of this. So Jesse and Sonny's kids were placed with Sonny's parents. But Sonny's parents died in 1982 in a plane crash. Whoa. So Sonny's daughter, Christina, who was the baby, the 10-month-old, she was placed in foster care with a friend of Sonny's. And then Eric, who was the son, lived with Sonny's brother and then eventually moved out on his own. He worked a couple of, like, odd jobs. uh, Also worked as a waiter at a pizza restaurant, but really, like, struggled to survive and make ends meet. Um, despite their convictions, Sonny and Jesse remained an item. They exchanged letters while they were in prison, and they learned Japanese so they could, like, send sexually explicit letters to each other without the guards intercepting them and no knowing what they were way. talking about. Yeah, so they talked dirty to each other in Japanese. <laughs> that is very... It's so cute! It's I'm sorry, cute. it's cute. It's, uh inventive and it's yeah. innovative. Yeah, I love it. Wow, okay. Love it. Um, Sunny definitely struggled when she first went to prison. There was no death row at the time for women in Florida. Mm-hmm. So Sunny was held in solitary confinement for oh, five years. shit. So during this five years, she was only let out one to two times a week for an hour of exercise. But she made the most of her time. She learned yoga. She was learning Japanese. Right. She did all those things. Um, Eventually, they did move her into Gen Pop, and she taught yoga to the other inmates there. And then um, she actually filed an appeal because the jury had originally recommended a life sentence for her, not the death penalty. But the judge in this case, like I said, it's kind of a, a hard ass. Um, Judge Daniel Fooch was his name. He had the nickname of Maximum Dan because of him imposing harsh sentences. And so despite the jury's recommendation, he basically overrode their recommendation and, and imposed the death sentence. 
So Sonny's sentence was commuted in 1981. The Florida Supreme Court ruled that the judge lacked sufficient basis to override the jury sentencing recommendation. Mm-hmm. So she received instead a life sentence with a 25-year-old or 25-year mandatory minimum sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1992, her case was reversed. So she took an Alford plea and took the plea for second-degree murder. And she was released on time served. Wow. In 2011, she married a guy named Peter Pringle. He was exonerated after being convicted of murder and sentenced to death in Ireland. So they had some common, something in common. Yeah. I know everybody right now is going, wait a minute, what about Jesse? We're getting there. Don't you worry. We're getting there. Um, but he had been exonerated. They were very much like kindred spirits and what had happened sure, to them. Sure, they had this common trauma that they'd been through. Right. So they founded the Sunny Center that helps exonerate exonerates. Is that the word? They help exonerate. accused? Yeah, people who have been exonerated of their sentence, basically. Oh, okay. So people yeah, who Not even falsely accused. is people who have been falsely convicted and okay. exonerated okay. later on. So they help them with their healing process. They are considered a nonprofit, and they give support when those people leave prison. They even allow them to stay at their home. Um, Sunny teaches them yoga, meditation, and prayer. Wow. And she did try and reconnect with her kids. Her son is now, what by the time she was released, her son was an adult. He was married, and he had a four-year-old daughter. Wow. And when he she met her granddaughter for the first time, her granddaughter asked her if she had been lost. Oh. And she was like, yes, I've been lost for a while. Oh, no. I know. But there is a relationship there. Her daughter was in high school by the time she was released. She was 16 oh, years old, I think okay. is what I read. Um, it took them months to reconnect. The daughter sure. was very like, I don't know you. Like, right. you are a stranger a to baby. me. Yeah. And so it took them a really long time to reconnect, but after several months, they did. They eventually started living together. They got their driver's license together. Uh They bonded. Um, So Sunny's story ended on a good note. Right. She definitely had a silver lining at the end. Silver lining did come. What really won her appeal was um, after Walter was convicted. He recanted his account on three different occasions, once in 1977, once in 1979, and once in 1982. Okay. And the one in 1982 is the one that finally stuck because a guard overheard him talking to somebody else, talking about how he was the one, talking to another inmate, of course, he was the one that had killed these two officers and everything. So he wasn't even just recanting, like, on uh, officially. He was just heard... Saying he lied. And then when he was overheard saying this, he was asked to give a formal statement, which he did. Oh, He did okay, end okay. up giving a formal statement. And then he recanted that formal statement saying that, no, he was pressured and bribed by the guards and other inmates and was promised money and sex. So I was like, mm-hmm, were you though? Um, in exchange for him saying that he was the one that had done all of it. But the, the instance that happened in 1982 was enough for Sonny to be released. Not so much for Jesse. 
So Jesse was sentenced to execution by electrocution. Oh, shit. And if we're familiar with how that is carried out, it is the good old electric chair. Right. He did lose all of his appeals. Um, In fact, the last appeal he filed was, I believe it was in 1981, um, basically saying, like, the judge should have recused himself. The um, Supreme Court or the district that reviewed it said that they found no bias, even though it was very clear. He talked about how his attorney had been incompetent didn't matter talked about walter had basically like all the evidence against walter yeah all these different things didn't matter they upheld the sentence so the chair that they use in florida had a nickname of old sparky old sparky and it got this nickname because it was known for malfunctions oh man So, on May 4th of 1990, despite the fact that Walter had said up until this point, on three different occasions, that he was the one that shot these officers. Right. The sentence was carried out. Wow. So, in order for the execution by electrocution to be carried out with a chair, um, they use a sea sponge for these. So, it's it's a sea sponge. It has to be a sea sponge. It cannot be a synthetic. It cannot be anything like that. It has to be filled with water. It cannot be dry. And they fill the sea sponge with water. They place it on the person's head. Mm-hmm. And then they strap the little cap to their head with the wet sea sponge. And the purpose of this sea sponge is to allow water to pass or to basically pass the electric current. To conduct the electricity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's much more efficient. It's a quicker death. Um, Supposedly, it's instantaneous. But members of the execution team used a synthetic sponge this day. You have one job. Literally one job. What? So they used a synthetic sponge, filled it with water, strapped it to Jesse's head, and... The first round of electrocution went first off, round. which is only supposed to take one. The first round of electrocution happened, and Jesse's head exploded <gasps> into fire. Six-inch flames shot out of the top of his head, and his body began to convulse. It took three jolts to execute Jesse. One account said that it took seven minutes for him to die. Another one said it took 13 and a half Oh, my God. I'm speechless. Inmates said that Old Sparky had been tampered with in order to make his execution torture because he had supposedly killed officers. it was cops. One inmate who was friends with Jesse said that he could smell burning flesh for days after that. Now, if this sounds familiar, spoiler alert to you, because Fatina has never seen the Green Mile, much to my shock and horror. (laughs) Um, those of you who have seen The Green Mile, which I'm sure many of you who are here have seen that movie, you might recognize this as the inspiration for the execution scene of Edward Delacroix. Um, Stephen King used this particular case for inspiration when he wrote the book, The Green Mile, which is what the movie is based on. And in that scene, if you remember right, if you haven't watched it, speed ahead, Patina, sorry, you're stuck. Um, (laughs) In that scene, 
the execution of Edward Delacroix is carried out with a dry sponge. And so it is an officer that's trying to get even with him because Edward has picked on him and tortured him the entire time he's been on death row. So he places a dry sponge on Edward's head before the electric chair goes off and he slowly burns to death in the chair. And it's madness and everybody runs out as his body basically catches on fire and he dies. And that is essentially what happened to Jesse. So, um, was there any repercussions for the, like the inhumane way that they carried this out? So it became, um, one of the big, uh, I could set a precedence for, no, it was, it was one of the big, um, points that people used for basically saying that the death penalty was inhumane. Right. And ultimately it, what, I don't know that any punishment or anything was carried out by the dimwit officers that decided to use a different type of sponge but mm-hmm. um ultimately it was part of what ended up switching uh the death sentence from execution or from electrocution over to lethal injection gotcha. because things like this happened and there there were malfunctions it wasn't just this guy it was others that had been subjected to malfunctions that ultimately like when things go wrong in the electric chair it's torturous right so that is this is a case that was used to basically bring about change for how the death sentence was carried out although that wasn't really what people wanted who were using this case as precedence they were trying to get rid of the death sentence altogether um, but, but if you're going to do it, do it in a less... Small steps. Small steps. Right. Yeah. Do it in a, le- do like- it in a humane... As humanely as possible. Right. In a way that is more fail torturous. Yeah. So, three polygraph experts later reviewed the polygraph exam that oh, we talked yeah, about. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, they said that the polygraph exam showed that Walter did not pass the test... Oh. In fact, uh, one of the experts said it was the most botched test he had ever seen. And he doesn't know why this guy was offered the a plea. a plea deal except to make sure that somebody was convicted and held accountable for the deaths of two officers. Damn. Do you have any Walter, information on whether it was, like, was it the type of questions or they just misinterpreted the answers? Uh, they said it was botched. So just maybe all of it. Yeah, it wasn't that they misinterpreted it. It was that they completely messed it up. Okay. And or just lied about the results. Yeah. Oh, they definitely did. Right. They said that the results were very clear that he failed it. And that is why the uh, DA would not release it to the defense. is right. because it was very clearly wrong. You think that a defense would argue that that's discoverable evidence, that that's something that... His defense did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Both of their defenses. So here's the kicker. (sighs) There's a kicker? Walter was released in 1994 (gasps) for good behavior. No! The fuck? And that is the story of Jesse Tafaro. Can you believe that? He was released for good behavior in 1994 after he... Wow. It's very obvious that he was the one that killed both officers. So he allowed a person to die. Alive and well today, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Because he was not much How older. How do you at all, like, live with yourself? Truly. How? No, no. I mean, honestly, not only not only did you kill people to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, you killed two cops. Put the cop thing aside. You killed two human beings. And then you killed this person by he, proxy. Well, yeah, he kills Jesse, essentially. Yeah, he kills Jesse, who is supposed to be his friend. Yeah. My God. And not only does he kill Jesse, but he's responsible for... As, he's one of people who are responsible for the torturous death of this man. And and here's the thing. I mean, I oh gosh, I got, I love playing devil's advocate, and I'll just I'll just say this, and I hopefully it doesn't get misinterpreted. But the obviously the the how they carried out the death sentence and or you know the the death on for Jesse is obviously inhumane, but and yes, they all deserve to serve prison time. They were all there for the murder in some way or another, were involved, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if there's not enough evidence to say for sure this person did it, oh, God, sorry, that just roused me up as far as our system. Yeah. Because why one person out of three, why not all do three yeah. for Walter's a, release number of time? And eligible for release. Right. Sonny's conviction gets overturned before, before he before goes. Before Jesse yeah. goes in. Which... Nobody ever said that she killed anybody, which is really confusing as to how she ended up on a capital murder charge when nobody said that she killed anybody. She was in the car when this whole thing happened. So how she ended up with that in the first place is beyond me. But there's obviously so many holes in it. And an appeal is submitted and they're like, eh, no, he still needs to die. I wonder if this would have been different had it not been cops. I wonder if it would have been different if it had been in another state. That too. Florida is wild with their the death blue. penalty. Well, that too. No, with their death penalty. Oh, gotcha. They're, you know. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the blue defending the blue, like it's. I wonder if it would have been different if it A, had not been cops and B, if it had not been in Florida. I'm sure it would have. And a different judge. And a different judge. Yes. There's literally remove any element of it and it probably would have been different. And, I mean, we've seen, I mean, I've read so many cases where if you don't have competent representation, yeah, that's, you're screwed. Well, not only are you screwed, but in, you know, if, if you're going for an appeal, if you can prove that this, you know, attorney that you had was corrupt or doing something that affected your trial, you could get a retrial or something or... But no, it just sounds like they were just telling people, oh, God, that's awful. Yeah. That's awful. And just, I mean, I don't, I'm like, what I feel as strongly about it, if he hadn't died the way he died, but the way he died is just so yeah. horrendous. Seven to 13 minutes, that's a Of your range. head burning. Oh, of you literally just on fire. Oh, my God. That's. Yeah. And you know, basically, oh, what horrific. like, his brain just exploded. Horrific. And instantly sure probably a- put him into a stroke or a seizure right. or something like that and just slowly fried to death. Ooh. And there's probably a gallery. I'm sure there were people there. Yeah. That So in the movie, The Green Mile, the room is filled with people when this scene happens. And so I'm sure 
you know, art imitates life. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, in Florida and, like, stuff like that, people. Yeah, there's probably Blue Family there. I mean, yeah, there are people that go and watch that kind of thing. And I just, I mean, don't catch me doing that. But, like, yeah, they would go and watch it. I'm sure there were people there watching when this happened. And literally, like, I all I can draw on is the visual from the movie because right. it does paint the picture. But it's literally, like, this person is burning alive. The smell is overwhelming. You see people trying to cover their face as they're running out, trying to get oh, out of the Jesus room because the smell Christ. is so bad. And the trauma of, like, having to witness it, the trauma of it happening, like, it's just the whole thing is terrible. I can't imagine even being the person that is pulling the lever. Like, what... You're a special kind of asshole, too. Yeah. Because you're also... Doing this with malice. You mean the person that did the sponge? The sponge or, you know... Well, I guess, yeah. The person that did the sponge, like... Yeah, and actually, I I got the characters confused. Edward Delacroix was not the one I was thinking of that was torturing this this officer, but this it's a different guy that was torturing this officer and like just like berating him all the time. This guy, now that I think about it, um, and googled it, he um, he was actually supposed to be one of the nice ones, but the officer that did it was just a piece of shit. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. I did not know this yep. case or that it inspired some of that movie either, which I hadn't seen, so now I'm going to go well, run ins- off and see it. It inspired the book. Oh, the book. The book. Right. That then, right. yeah. Yeah. Weird. Anyway, so I just, it's a very Ooh. short story. Sorry for giving you guys a short one this week, but it's such a, like that scene, quote unquote, is so intense that it just, I felt the need that it needed to be covered because yeah. it is truly like one of the most horrific death sentences that I've ever heard of. Yeah. It's like a case on top of a case on top of a case. Like, Mm. they can all stand alone. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Ooh! Okay, so family movie night. All of us need to go watch it. Report back next week. (laughs) Thanks so much. Can we do the Netflix, the the family watching? What do you call that? Like, you can share screens. Oh, yeah. It's like family viewing or whatever. Yeah. Let's do family viewing. We can do that with Patreons. (laughs) Watch the green file. <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Awesome. If you get a chance, please go follow us on the social medias and patreon.com. And if you have any case suggestions and you're a patron on the murder lovers level, you can send us an email or shoot us a message with your case suggestions and it'll shoot up to the top of the priority list. All of our links are listed in the show notes, so you can find them there and follow us. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you.